Hello, welcome to Afraid Not. I'm Jill McCormick. And I'm Robin Wall. Our guest today is Lainey Norris. Lainey has an amazing story to tell, and I really felt like as we listen today and have our conversation, that so many people will identify and feel so comforted to know you're not alone. You've ever dealt with anxiety, if you've had postpartum depression, if you've had some really dark times and wondered if it was ever going to be bright again, this story is for you, and we want to be an encouragement to your life. Lainey has two children, and they are very close together in age, what we would call Irish twins. Yes. And she's going to talk a lot about what happens physically when that happens, what happens emotionally when that happens, or just when, like Robin said, if you're going through a dark time, and how to notice the warning signs of that, and what steps to follow. So listen in. We hope that you enjoy this episode, 15th episode of Afraid Not. Hi, Lainey. Welcome. Hi. Thank you. Thanks so much for coming on to Afraid Not. We're so glad you're here. Thank you very much. It's an honor to be here. So why don't you tell us a little bit about you? Sure. Um, well, I am married to Barrett, and we've been married um, nine years next week. Congratulations. Anniversary. Yeah, it's a big one. It's fun. Um, and we have two sweet kids. Milo is seven, and Ingrid is six, and um, that's our life. We've lived here in Owasso since we've been married. Um, I'm a speech pathologist, and I work for a virtual school. Um, so I actually get to work from home, which is really cool, um, but I still get to service kiddos and help them with their communication skills. So it's really fun. I love that. And I love it that you can do it from home. Yes, it's a huge blessing. Virtual school. What a new age job. I love it. You're right on the cutting edge. I know. (laughs) So so how does that work? Well, it's a lot like Skype. It's not Skype because of HIPAA Mm -hmm. and everything. But, um, you know, they come into my room, which is just a box on the computer and we do games and activities and fun thing we have webcams and microphones and do you see their faces and they see your face yeah yep and we still have groups just like you would in a school and um, they can't be as big just because of bandwidth and all of that you know techie stuff mm-hmm. um but yeah it works just like in a school system except we're all just sitting behind a computer so it's pretty that cool it's amazing pretty cool yeah so cool and I have to ask you one of my favorite stories is how God brought you to your husband, and I think it's just wonderful. Would you please tell our listeners how you met Barrett? Sure. So I was in grad school up in Missouri at Springfield, and um, I just was, I felt like I was getting ready to be done with school, and my pool of fish was getting smaller. Um, And so it was like January 1st, and eHarmony does this trial, free trial at the beginning of every year because, you know, who doesn't want a man for the next year? Right. New Year's resolution. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I was like, okay. And my sister kind of nudged me to do it. And she helped me fill out my profile. And um, it was like a week maybe that I was on there. And I'd been, you know, there's several guys that I'd kind of talked with on there. And then Barrett popped up, and um, his, honestly, his picture was awful. It was, like, long distance <laughs> far away. He was wearing, like, those white undershirts that you wear under a button-up, like, fixing a four-wheeler or something. Like, you couldn't even see his face. <laughs> and I kind of thought, who is this guy? Like, I don't know. Um, and we just kind of, like, they link you together, and then you can look at what they like and dislike. And I was like, well, maybe, but we're very different. And so I was like, well, you know, I'll give it a try. And we just started talking. 
and um, our month went up, was going to go up, and I wasn't going to pay for it because, you know, <laughs> I don't know, that seemed weird at the time. So I was like, well, listen, the month's coming up, and I, you know, I'm not going to be here anymore, but here's my email um, if you'd like to still stay in contact. And so we did, and actually the last week of January, we met in Joplin, which was halfway for us. So this is kind of a big deal yes. in real life. Yeah. Yes. You met in real life. We met in real life. After you had talked 30 days. Maybe. Online. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And like every day or? Um, yeah. And it's like, you know, it's its own email system. So you would send a message and then it would like ping you and the next per- they could write back. Right. So it was kind of a slower every mm-hmm. day, but yeah. Um, and so we decided to meet at the mall because we wanted a public place. And, and in case he had been a really scary, yeah. you know, dangerous yes, person, you exactly. could have said, hey. Exactly. I could scream. <laughs> Hide out in the crowd. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but I lived with eight girls at the time in college. And so they were all like, you're going to do what? And they were like so worried. And I remember they just were texting me like every five minutes. You know, are you alive? Where are you at? What part of the mall? Where, what does this car look like? Like they wanted everything. They wanted like a picture of his license plate and Anyway, um, I met Barrett, and we, like, what do you do at the mall when you're, like, 21, you know? So we walked around, and he was like, well, do you want to go, you know, do something else? you want to go get ice cream or go look around? And I was like, sure, but we didn't know anything about Joplin. So I went to get in with him, and he's got, like, he's, like, if you knew my husband, he's, like, farm boy, (laughs) Mr. Get It Done. And so he has this big old truck. And it's got, like, <laughs> ropes and stuff in the back. And he had oh. been hunting. So oh. he had, like, hunting garb mm-hmm. and guns mm-hmm. and things. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. And I didn't notice I'm until we were all, Exactly. I didn't notice until we were already, like, driving around Joplin. And we didn't know where we were going. So it seems like you're just driving to the middle of nowhere. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, please don't let him kill me. But he didn't. <laughs> it was wonderful. He was so super, super sweet. Not scary at all. And after that time um, that we met, we started hanging out every weekend. He would either drive up to see me at Springfield or I'd drive. He was in Nowata. I'd drive down here. Mm-hmm. Was Joplin a halfway mm-hmm. point for you both? Yeah, Joplin okay. was halfway. So we did that until now. <laughs> but I mean, he, December of that year, he proposed. So it was less than a year wow. from when we... Like it so talking. the New Year's resolution worked. It, worked. it did. New Year's so <laughs> I know. And then we got married in May. So it was a real quick engagement. And um, I was graduating in May. So I graduated. And then the next weekend we got married. And I moved to Oklahoma. And here well, we God, are. God can use wow. social media. God can use eHarmony. Yes. <laughs> God can use anything he, he wants, wants to bring yeah. the right person in your life. I love it. Yeah. Love so it. we would never, ever let our daughter do that. <laughs> but... <laughs> It worked out really well for us. So. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah. And I do have to say that the names that you and Barrett chose for your children are so they're fun, so creative. Fun. I think you. they're so original. I don't think that I know other children named Milo and Ingrid, and I just think they're so unique and special, and they fit them so well. They're such really special Kids, they are. I love are those family names at all? Or no? Well, Milo is, but we didn't know that until after we named him. Then it was like people were like, "Oh, did you know that your great 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 uncle or whatever was a Milo?" Um, hmm. We just I looked up the census records from yeah. like 1920 or whatever, and I just start reading them off, and 
that was one we really liked for him. And then Ingrid, I love Ingrid Michaelson, her music. I don't know if you know her mm-hmm. at all, but she actually, that was one of the songs in our wedding was one of her songs. And so I'd always kind of liked the name, but never mm-hmm. thought about it. And when we were thinking about names, my dad was like, what about Ingrid? And I was like, oh. And Barrett was like, okay, that sounds good. I'm like, all right. Oh, <laughs> so wow. we just stuck with it. But yeah, no, they're not family names, but they're fun. We love them. So, Did you grow up in a home where you were learning to love the Lord as a young child? Or did you come to him in college? Or what was your story of faith with coming to faith yeah. in Jesus? Um, well, I did grow up in a wonderful Christian home. Um, I have two sisters and my parents, and we grew up in Missouri on Lake of the Ozarks. So that was kind of fun, too. It's like a tourist town, and we got to do a lot of fun things. Um, but my family was huge um, in music, and so I always feel, felt like music brought me to the Lord. Um, I remember learning scripture through music and, um, you know, just even like those prayers of your heart that you cry out in those moments. Mm-hmm. Um, the music is just always what comes to mind. And so um, that's just how I felt like I came to the Lord. But I was saved and baptized very young at like the age of six and um, really never strayed from that. And there were, I went to college and got highly involved in Campus Crusade for Christ I think that's probably more when my relationship with God became super intimate and I learned um, really good strategies to stay in touch with him and how to, you know, I don't know, stay connected with him in all sorts of different ways. And that's really when my relationship with him tightened Um, and then into now and learning how to be a mom and work and still get up and do, you know, quiet times and find all those moments. Cause it's a lot easier when you're a college student to right. find time. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we thought we were busy, but we weren't. Right. <laughs> when, I, when my kids say that they're so busy, I just smile and nod. <laughs> just don't even know. I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah. So. Well, your faith has been tested in many ways over the years and um, I just was wondering, would you be willing to talk about some of those times that were frayed in your life, like how our podcast is called Afraid Not, where, where things were raveling and, and troubling and your faith, you were clinging to the Lord and, you know, he's walking you through it. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And so we had Milo first, and yeah, obviously he's our oldest, and then um, when I was he was five months old we found out we were pregnant with Ingrid and so that was a quick little turnaround yes so they're like Irish twins yes yes they are they're very close in age and um and so had you been planning for that no no didn't (laughs) plan for that it just happened and um yeah but it was a shock but it was been a complete joy too she's definitely exactly what we needed and um it's been a good it was super duper duper hard in the beginning to have two kids that close. Um, but now it's wonderful because they're really into the same things and mm-hmm. they can have the same friends and do the same activities. And so that's been great. But, um, I had him and so he was still a baby baby when I was pregnant with Ingrid and that pregnancy was just hard. It was different. And Ingrid's was, mm-hmm, it was and. They and plus, you had a less than guess, one year old. Yes, I had a bitty, bitty baby. Yes, right. yeah. And so I went to the twenty week ultrasound that they do, the big one, and there were some concerns with her heart. And so um, we just kind of started to monitor that. 
and it was okay. It wasn't going to be anything super scary, but it was just one of those things where you're like, oh, you know, and they kept telling us after she was born, they may have to do some more extensive heart testing to see what was up. And so that was okay. We were still kind of going along. And um, then about 30 weeks, um, there were some concerns with growth for her. And so um, they started monitoring me every week, and she just wasn't growing. And so they diagnosed her with, or me, I guess, I don't know who they diagnosed, both of us, with IUGR, which basically means that my uterus wasn't growing um, to fit her. And so um, they wanted me to get to 36 weeks because that's the golden ticket. Mm -hmm. And so we just kept praying and they kept monitoring. It was like every two or three days we'd go in and get ultrasounds. And Were you on bed rest or anything during no, this time? No, no. They wanted me to drink a lot of water. That, but that was really the only big thing that I remember. Um, but like right at 36 weeks, it was, wasn't even, it was like a day short. I went in for the, the test and our doctor was like, well, what are you doing today? And I said, I don't know. She's like, you're going to have a baby. We Surprise. need to get her. Yeah. She's like, we need to get her out. Um, her numbers are concerning and so I was like okay and at the time my parents didn't live here so I called mom and I was like we're having a baby today you need to get here now because we Mm. had like a one and two month old at home and so um (laughs) we ran home real quick they said go home get a bag and come right back to the hospital so we did and we got back and um her heart rate wasn't good and they were she was really stressed out and so it became very emergency all of a sudden so we, we were already planning on a C-section, but it just made it that much more heightened. And I remember just being, like, panicked that because we were at St. John Owasso, which doesn't have a NICU, and they pretty much told us they'd have to take her to a NICU as soon as she was born, so we'd be separated. So they didn't have you have her in Tulsa since they have a NICU there? No, because, well, they gave me my choice, and I my doctor couldn't have done the surgery. And I was very... Um, Attached. Yes, and I just felt... Like, she would have my best interest in mind, and she promised that she would get me down there as soon as possible, and we were here, and <clears throat> I already kind of knew this hospital, because we just had a right. baby there, <laughs> and so <laughs> I just kind of went with it, and so we did that, and they, you know, they were telling us all these things, her lungs weren't going to be strong enough, like, you know, all of you, are getting all this information, because they're trying to prepare you. What a scary day. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah. I just went from, and like... had your mom and dad been able to get... To they Owasso got yet? to Owasso with, like, the minute Ingrid was born. Wow. So <laughs> we had a friend come to the house and um, take care of Milo and get him to sleep. Because it was at this point, it's like 6 in the evening by the time. Because my doctor appointment was really late. So anyway, um, we had, we wheeled into the C-section room, the operating room. And I'm just, like, panicked. And I remember telling my doctor, like, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. She's like, you can breathe. And she was so sweet and precious. And I just remember her like, listen to my voice, focus on me, you can breathe. And um, Ingrid came out and she was just crying, screaming. And we were like, yes, because I bet her lungs were strong and healthy. And they told us if she checks out fine and she's five pounds, she can stay with you. And so they're stitching me up and the doctors called to have the nurse call up and see how much she weighed and um, five pounds. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so we got to keep her with us and her lungs Yay. were strong. And at that point, even they were like, her heart's fine and everything seemed great. And we were like, yes, this is wonderful. We were in the hospital just a short period of time. We, I feel like we got out really quick and 
So everything was just wonderful, and it was just this, like, yes, like, we did it. And then I got home, and it was like everything just, like, fell out from underneath me. Um, just emotionally, it was very, mm-hmm. like, um, I just something I've never experienced before in my life. Um, just having two kids need you so much was mm-hmm. really and hard. A, what, 14-month-old? Yes. And, and a newborn. And infant. Yes, who was five pounds. Five. So right. they were really worried about her weight, and she'd all had all these other things traumatic things and so they were checking her all the time for everything were they giving you steroid shots while you were pregnant for her no they didn't because they they kept I think they were just hopeful that um we could get to long enough and um it really honestly we didn't think it was going to be an issue until that day and then they were like okay like it was almost like something just changed that day she was just not acting right um and on it they told me afterwards that my placenta was completely black when it oh when what it does that it. mean it was dead I mean it wasn't oh. feeding her and oh. she came out like she had hickeys all up and down her arms because she had been sucking oh. like to try to find food oh. and so she was hungry and she needed to be out it was mm-hmm. she mm-hmm. God definitely worked that for her um but it was totally scary and I think like my it was just that adrenaline rush and then we got home and it was like whoosh. and I just I didn't know what was wrong with me, but I was so like sad and tired, but then I was also mad at everybody. And, um, I mean, just like irrationally mad about things like more so than ever. And, um, it just kept getting worse. And we were probably low on sleep in the first place (laughs) and hormones crazy. (laughs) Exactly. Yes. And that did not help. Um, but it was probably, I don't remember, but at, like three or four months old when Ingrid was three or four months old. I mean, I was to the point where I would, I was terrified of being left alone with both kids. Like I was so scared and I would call Barrett and I would make up any excuse under the sun that I could think of to get him to come home. And he would, because he would be scared something was wrong. You know, like I would make up these huge lies. I mean, they were lies. I'd say that Milo is super sick and, like, whatever. And then he'd get home and be like, oh, he's magically better. But you're home, so stay home. Or I would say that I was really sick or that, you know, Ingrid was something or that I heard a noise in the attic or I smelled a smell. Like, anything to get him Mm -hmm. home with me because I was just so scared of being home by myself. And um, when he wouldn't do it because he's working, you know, I wasn't working at the time. He has to work. Um, I would just get so mad and I would just berate him. You know, you don't love us. You don't want to be with us. You, you know, what would happen if this, whatever. And, um, you know, and so. I'm sure he was so worried about you. Yeah, he was. And I found out later that he had been um, conversing on the side with my mom and um, trying to figure out how to get me help because I wasn't open to the idea of it yet. Um, I felt like it was just, I was just tired. (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. that's what I kept saying. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm just tired. I just need sleep. You don't understand. You're not the mom. Like I just, you know, whatever. Did you expect yourself some super high standards to, I'm going to bounce back. I'm fine. I've got this. I'm just, I'm going to keep on trucking and you didn't want help. Right. Well, and I think I just, I've seen other people have two kids and they do it fine. Like I must be that it's me. I, I just, you know, it's my fault. I can't keep up with it or, you know, whatever. Um, and so I did expect that I had a really high expectation for myself in that regard. And so, um, 
it just never happened. And he started talking with my mom. And that's the other part. My parents weren't living here yet. They right. are now. But mm-hmm. at that time, they were still back in Missouri. And so they were coming down every <clears throat> week, <laughs> more than every week, because I couldn't care for myself. And I for sure couldn't care for two kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think everybody was like circling around and they were like, the priority is that she is feeding our daughter, <laughs> feeding mm-hmm. Ingrid mm-hmm. and feeding herself. And we're just going to do whatever we can. And so mm-hmm. um, they kind of circled the wagon. Um, but my husband reached out to my mom and she finally was like, we need to get her help. And so she flew in from my sister's and she would fly in and out of Tulsa and I went and picked her up at the airport, and I remember her saying, do you want to go talk somewhere? And I just started bawling, and I was like, yes. And I remember just sitting in Panera and just weeping and being like, Mom, I don't know why I'm so mad. I don't know why I'm so mad, but I'm just mad, and I don't know why I'm so scared, but I can't do this. And I remember, like, I would have conversations with Barrett and be like, I think you'd be better off with yourself, with the kids. Like, I'm so not good at this. And And you can look back at that now and know, oh, my goodness, what (laughs) was I saying? But that was how you really felt. That's truly how I felt. And I was thinking of all sorts of crazy schemes to get out of it. And um, so... My mom, you know, super precious. and She just, is. I love your parents. Yes. They are wonderful, wonderful people. They are. They are. And they just were steadfast in all of that. And my mom, you know, talked to me about it's okay that you need help and we're going to get you help and this isn't you. This isn't mm-hmm. your, mm-hmm. you know, I've li- lived with you my ho- your whole life. I know who you are and this is not you. And this is So you never your... had depression or anxiety issues or anything like that no, before? No, I mean, I've always... I think I've always had a little bit of anxiety mm-hmm. problems. Like looking back now, I'm like, oh, okay, that might have been a little bit of a flag, or that was kind of weird that I was obsessive about that thing in the past, you know. But nothing like this, right? Um, and so I called a therapist first. That was well. At first, I called my insurance to see who they would provide, and they gave me this one. And I called them, and I didn't know when you call, or at least this place. They give you, like, a nurse, and she just starts going through, like, a triage list, basically, to see. I think they just want to see, like, if you are severe enough to go somewhere right, else. Right, right. They're like wanting an to make evaluation sh- right. of where you were at. Right exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. And so when she called, I was sitting in Chick-fil-A, and I remember, like, having to answer these questions, like, have you made a plan to leave? Or, mm-hmm. like, all this stuff. And I remember thinking, like, oh, my gosh. Like, I'm at, I'm at this point. This is where I am. And some of that, some of those answers were yes. And I had to be honest. Um, and I'm like sitting in Chick-fil-A. My mom was there and she's trying to like range, range the kids. And um, like, I just remember like thinking, I cannot believe that I am here and that this is me because this is what you hear about on the news. These are the mm-hmm. moms you hear about mm-hmm. on the news. This is not me. Um, and so I started the work of, meeting with the therapist. It was a man. He was awful. Oh, no. He, he kept trying to tell me that he knew exactly how I felt, and I kept thinking, there's no way you know what I feel because mm-hmm. you're a dude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm sorry, but you're a boy. And so it was not a good fit. But he did, one thing he did do was encourage me to talk to my doctor, and so I did that and was able to get on some medication. And um, That was smart. Yes. That was a smart move. And um, prayer and all of those wonderful things and people rallying around me. Um, 
And so that really started the healing process. I ended up kicking the therapist to the curb, found another one who I love and I'm still with, you know, but this was like, at this point, we're in like eight, nine months after having Ingrid. So it's already been a long time that I've been really, really angry. (laughs) Um, And so I've started to lose sight of who I was. Um, And so that was hard. And it took a long time to rebuild that trust, I guess, in who I am. And um, Would you wake up in the morning and feel anger Mm -hmm. even before starting the day or anything? Yeah. Yep. And it sounds were really hard for me, like chaotic sounds, not like music, but so imagine having two babies. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And so they're loud. Well, yeah. and I think a lot of times when people think depression, especially if they don't know much about it, they just think sadness. Mm-hmm. Like you're just in a dark room, mm-hmm. sad. And I'll, and but many times depression manifests as anger. Yeah. Yes. So that Amen. really was exactly mm-hmm. where you yes. were. Yes. Right? Totally. And mm-hmm. I cannot I remember like my parents were home with at our house helping with something. And I remember I had said something to mom, not very kind. And my sweet, precious dad came back to Ingrid's bedroom where I was. And he was like, you really, like, it's not okay for you to talk to your mom like that. Which, you know. Um, and I remember just being, like, mm. irate. Mm-hmm. And I marched out to the kitchen where he was. And I was like, you are not allowed to talk to me like that in my house. I mean, to my father, who I adore, who I've never, I mean, maybe once when I was like 16, but I don't remember like, you know, like screaming at him. And I was like, I mean, trying to lay into him and he had to like grab me and hold me in a way that I couldn't hurt him or myself. And I mean, that's like devastating to even voice out loud now to think that that's where I was. But honestly, like I would tell Barrett, I feel like I'm floating and watching myself react mm-hmm. in these ways. Mm-hmm. And I can't stop it. I can't. I've tried, and I, I don't know what else to do. Um, and so it was just scary. It's scary to feel that out of control of your own body, right? you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and wondering, where am I? Exactly. Why am I not exactly. the same me that I've been all of these years? Yes. Where is that me? Yes. <laughs> yeah. And I, um, you know, I took a small step and I reached out to a girl that was in our church at the time. Um, not we were at a different church than we are now. And her response back was, well, just read the Bible and think positive thoughts. <sighs> and I like, I was like, okay, well, did that feel like you'd been slapped on the, yeah, like, I because, can't, that is a trite answer. Yeah. That's a, what I call Sunday school. Answer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And I just felt like... Not that we're saying that reading the Bible is bad. Exactly. Not that we're saying to think positive thoughts is a bad idea. Those are wonderful, wonderful things. But when someone is dealing with a, a serious time, when you just say in a breezy way, <laughs> well, just read the Bible. Or cheer up. Just cheer up just and think the good side. That's mm-hmm. not the mm-hmm. right thing to say. Yeah. Maybe it would have been better if she just given you a hug and exactly. said, I am so sorry. Yes. Yes, that very... And maybe say, can I pray for you Mm -hmm. right now? Mm -hmm. Instead of just telling you, well, just (laughs) open up the word. Because it sounds almost offensive to you, I'm sure. I have another effort of hope, trying to find hope, and now I feel hopeless again. Yeah, and it shut me off, too, from... Like, that was, like, my first putting my little toe in the water of, like, maybe I can share this with people to find help and support and community and it was like okay nope 
the water's icy cold. I'm not going to do that again. Um, and so I'm going to veer the story a smidge. Um, in this year of horrificness, um, you know, my husband was diagnosed with MS. And This is not just a, a simple veer. This right. is huge. Yes. He had been through his own. Right. Really huge. Yes. Journey. Right. Side by side. Yes. Your all going huge on the journey. Same time. It's exact this one year of Ingrid's birth. We had that. My oldest son um, began having seizures. And then we found out that Ingrid did have a hole in her heart. Oh, not hole. Um, she had aortic stenosis. And um, so it was like I would start to feel like I could breathe. And then we would get slammed. And it was like, Lord, I don't understand. Like, I remember saying, like, I don't, I don't get why we can't, why we can't have one day. Why can't we have one day, just one day of, like, just good news, one day of good news. That's what I wanted, and it just never came, and so. Did, did Barrett's news of having MS rock you even deeper? Yeah, and, but the, I think one good thing, my mom also has MS, and so I grew up with that, and she, um, has had a wonderful like existence with it. I mean, she's, I don't know if you can say you're healed from MS, but I mean, she really hasn't had any issues from it. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. For a long, long time. And so I think in my head, I thought, well, that's what will happen to him. So we're good. You know what I mean? Like it wasn't scary. That part of it wasn't scary to me because I thought, well, my mom had it and now she's like amazing and doing totally fine. So we're going to be fine with that. Like that one wasn't as earth shattering it was definitely hard, um, but I was kind of glad to just know what it was and get him on medicine and go forth. Um, mm-hmm. And then Milo. Mm-hmm. And he started having really big grand mal seizures. Oh. Um, the and first he's only one. One, yeah. He was one. While you have your little, mm-hmm. whatever, six-month-old, yes. eight-month-old mm-hmm. little baby daughter yep. who's very, very needy yes. all the time. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he was. This is a lot, Lainey. It was a lot. It's a lot. That year was awful. It was awful. And I honestly, like, I don't know. The moments that I was with God were when I was singing hymns before bed to mm-hmm. my kids. I mean, honestly, that was like all I could do. Um, I, I don't remember. I remember being on my knees screaming to him in anger a few times. Um, but I don't remember any like sweet, really beautiful, positive thought moments (laughs) Mm -hmm. with him, you know, in those moments. But I know he was there. I could feel it. Um, But I just felt really, like, forgotten. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I don't, I don't know. I don't want to make it sound like our story is just this destitute thing because it it ends up beautiful. But um, it was really hard. And Ingrid's health she was never really a super healthy kid <laughs> to begin with. Um, but she began to have some wonky things happen. And so we kind of had, we had like a three month window where Barrett started on medicine and he was doing really well. Um, Milo, we'd kind of, he started to grow out of his seizures. He had like three months of just a ton of seizures. And then it was like, okay, we're done, (laughs) which thank you, Lord, because I was, I was done, (laughs) you know, like I needed a break from something. Um, and so that happened. We had this little brief window and I was starting to think like, okay. And I felt like my, I 
felt myself back a little bit. I think that's probably around the time I met you. Yeah, yes. And we were in our Sunday school class together, mm-hmm. and we got to have lunch with that Sunday with yes. your family yes, yes. and my family. And, um, and we didn't know yet that you were going to be going through... A whole lot of stuff with Ingrid. Mm-hmm. So I would, th- I would think I met you in your little breather <laughs> of a window in your year of uh, Job. Yes. yes. Travers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yes, that would have been about right. And um, and then that Ingrid happened. And I won't share. There's Her story is lengthy and long. And if you want to know, I'd be happy to get coffee with you and share more if that's, you know, you're up your alley. But... Um, we just started this process of trying to figure out what was causing her to have these really bizarro symptoms. Um, and one of the things was they thought she had these massive bumps growing on the back of her head and they thought they were cancer. Um, and so so they put us, they wanted her to have surgery and nobody would touch it except a neurosurgeon because they were all over the back of her head. And so they took us to the hospital and they did the surgery. It was like six hours. And this was actually right before we came to First Baptist Owasso. Um, And we were at this other church. And I remember the night before the pastor sent me a text and he was like, so did you want me to come to that? (laughs) And I was Uh, like, uh, and it was like another one of those moments where your toes in the water and you're Mm -hmm. starting to trust that people are going to be there for you. And you're like, okay. And I said, no, it's okay. Because I didn't want to be like, yes, we desperately need you to be there. You know? Why would he even ask? (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. It shouldn't have been a question. And so we were there, and obviously my parents were there in the waiting room, and um, she came through it fine. Um, It was six hours long. They thought she was going to have to be in the ICU, but she didn't, praise the Lord. And we were able to go to our regular room, but she was in the hospital for like a week afterwards. because they didn't want her to leave until they knew for sure if it was cancer or not. Because if it was, they wanted to start treatment right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so during that hospital stay, we started getting visitors from First Baptist also because our kids went to King's Kids. And so deacons that I still don't know. I mean, I remember deacons coming, and I have, like, a vague image, but I don't know who they were. And I'm sure I, w- I probably know who they, them now you know, but so I'm like, right. I don't know who came, but I know that there were like two or three different deacons. Um, her teacher from King's Kids came, um, Susan Helm came up for a little bit too. And, um, like that was huge mm-hmm. and they just right. stepped into this gap. I don't even know that they knew there was a gap there, but they did. Um, and it was so healing in that moment, to have people be like, you know, we're here and mm-hmm. we're caring for you. We don't know you, but we love you and, um, you know, we're praying for you. And wow. Yeah. So that was that's great. a huge moment. Um, yeah. So I don't know where you want me to go next, but I feel like I should say that, um, you know, we're six years now past Ingrid's birth when my mental illness kicked in and truly it's only been the last year that I feel me Mm. again. And um, I had to deal with trusting myself, that trusting that the person that I was was not going to do that again. Like Mm -hmm. that, not that it wouldn't happen again. There's still days when it's very hard for me um, and I get overwhelmed very easily. And I have to be really cognizant of like my sleeping 
and triggers and things. Mm -hmm. Um, But even with Barrett and I, we had, he had to trust that when I called and told him I needed help, it was a true request. Like he had to regain that trust. Absolutely. You know, Mm -hmm. and, um, and so that was a lot of work. I mean, that was like three years of just work, work on our marriage, work on me and um, letting people in because I had been so hurt by just the one girl making that comment. I felt like I can't tell people that I struggle with this because their response is going to be flippant and it's not a flippant thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's been a long, long time coming. And honestly, like the church now has been huge in helping that growth and the community that we have at that church in my Sunday school class. And um, even being able to have small leadership opportunities where I could feel myself like, okay, like you can handle this. Like you're, you can mm-hmm. handle this being in charge of something. Um, because I was terrified that I would do what I did when I was in charge of two babies. <laughs> you know what I mean? I felt like I, right. I couldn't lead anything. Um, and so that's been huge and super healing. Um, and I still see a, a counselor. And um, I'm so smart that yeah. you do. Yeah. So what are some steps that you did take to that were active steps to get out of Sure. To kind of get out of that. I mean, really, that I would hands down say get – See somebody, see mm-hmm. a counselor, see a therapist, you know, um, if you can't afford one because they are expensive, check with churches in the area. They usually have somebody mm-hmm. or they can mm-hmm. connect you with a resource um, that was just being able to talk through some of those feelings that you felt were shameful um, mm-hmm. was massive. Uh, medication was really big. Mm-hmm. Um, I n- no longer need it now, um, but it's OK if I do at some point again. Mm-hmm. So, right. you know, right. and that's okay. I, and that's one of the things I struggled with that for me because I, I had some postpartum after mm-hmm. my son. I remember dropping a bag of, spilling a, a bag of potato chips on the floor and just sobbing. And I was like, this, <laughs> yeah. this is weird. This yeah, shouldn't be happening. So, so, but going into counseling myself and I had to go to my doctor about it and she suggested that. And I said, I can't go on medicine. I'm going to be a counselor. And she's like, well, you think counselors don't have issues? You think you don't have problems because mm-hmm. you're superwoman now? Right, And I was right. like, oh, no, none of those things. So, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, but right. I had to come to terms with that yes. for myself. And because th- I think there's a stigma with it. Yes, that there shouldn't totally. Be. I mean, if you're a diabetic, it's brain chemical. So not everybody needs it. And if you don't have to have it, then you should do what you have can do to not have to have it. Right. But if you do, it's a chemical thing. If you're diabetic, you would take insulin. Yep. I mean, absolutely. There's yeah. no shame in it. Yeah. And I, I want you to know that your, the way that your leadership, I, I just feel like God's used you so much more than you would ever know, that you would ever even realize. But in in many times of you leading worship, and and stepping out with things that we've done with ladies' ministry things, I just think you've been amazing. And I love to hear your voice singing praises to the Lord. And Lainey, those of you that are listening, Lainey has an amazing voice, and she just has a real connection so that as Mm -hmm. you're worshiping, as you're worshiping the Lord, you really feel like you can sing along, which that's really the goal, to sing along and praise the Lord. And I know... There's not a real pretty bow on top of things. That's okay. I mean, we're all in the process of 
God fixing us from our falling down and he picks us up mm-hmm. and we fall down and he mm-hmm. picks us up and um, this journey that you're on is pretty beautiful I have to say yeah. I mean I'm so proud of you that you've never given up all this time when yeah. there were many times that you probably wanted to yeah. well and I will say that there's no way that I could have made it through without a rock solid husband I mean he had every right to leave me he could have he could have left and taken the kids and claimed as me as crazy, but he never, not once did I ever doubt that he was would ever do that. And um, he's just been super solid in that. And, you know, having parents that have been so steady and um, there, they were just always there, always. Never doubted mm-hmm. that they would be there mm-hmm. when I needed them. And um, now just a community of friends, too. Um, I heard a cool... Thing on a podcast the other day called your first responder friends and I thought that was really neat and those are like the people that like when something happens they're there immediately you know and I just feel blessed that I now like in the time that I was in I had zero first responder friends you know I have, I have one but she was a missionary in Africa so like she couldn't be physically there <laughs> but she would like send me yeah. emails what kind of excuses <laughs> yeah you know um but now I feel like I don't know, even just a few weeks ago, there was a situation and I wasn't here, but I needed people here to be caring for my family that was here in town. And my army just showed up. There was people doing things for me and, you know, stepping in the gap and um, that just didn't happen before. So um, it's been huge, you know, huge. Well, and I think it's important for people to realize that you have to have that close circle of people Mm -hmm. that you trust four times like that. So if you don't, you need to find it. You need to get into a church or, I mean, you have to find your group, your yeah, people. for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm so glad you're not still feeling that isolation of, I can't, I can't try to, to dip my toe in the water anymore because so many people that are listening to this right now may be feeling that very way today. Mm-hmm. They may be feeling that if I do, I'm going to get burned. I better not take the risk but because you have taken the risk and gotten involved mm-hmm. and been a part of your church and community group and Sunday school, it's making all the difference for yeah. you, for your family. And totally. And you might get burned because there's just people out there, yes. but it's not going to be every time. Right. So you just have mm-hmm. to keep going. Right. And honestly, there aren't perfect people right. and there aren't perfect churches because we're all in this. <laughs> Absolutely. We're all in this. Yes. So, yeah. Oh. So, yeah, but maybe if I could give some ideas of things maybe not to say, would that be That would helpful? be fantastic. Yes. Um, so just to like, even if it's not a mental illness issue that your friend's dealing with, if it's like, um, you know, having a child, they have a child that's super sick or their husband is super sick or any of these things, you know, coming at them with um, at least, please don't start any right. phrase with at least, you know, mm. at least she's pretty. I hear that. I'm not joking at least one time a week about Ingrid. If I share about her health struggles, well, at least she's pretty or at least she's cute. And I'm like, okay, Mm -mm. Mm -mm. (laughs) but her health would be wonderful. You know, like, I don't know. So that don't start it with at least please. Um, I was going to look at my other thoughts here. Um, anytime that you feel like you need to give advice, just don't, unless you're really close to them and you, know you have that relationship where you could give right. them some advice, just don't give it. 
mm-hmm. even if you think it could be the magic cure, don't give it because mm-hmm. it's not helpful. Yeah. Um, Does it honestly turn you off? Yeah. To be- yeah. And it's like, I know that in their hearts, they mean the best for you. And they really are trying to think of something to help you. You know, they right. really want to. Right. They're not trying to be hurtful. Right. But I, I mean, I spend hours searching Google. So there's mm-hmm. not going to be something on Google right. you find that I haven't already found. Right. You know. Um, so that's definitely one. Um, giving me a story about your great uncle's cousin who also had something similar and then died. That's never good. Like, you know what I mean? Whoa. Like, <laughs> I just feel like wow. people feel like they need to connect with you somehow or they get uncomfortable that you're sharing something hard. And so the easiest thing for them to do is talk about them. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, oh, well, you know, my grandpa, whatever. And or one of the story or something. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And so it's just, honestly, if you don't know what to say and it makes you feel uncomfortable, it's okay to not say anything. Mm-hmm. It's okay to just reach over and touch their shoulder, you know, give them a hug. Um, I have a friend that always says, I hate that this is your reality. Like, mm-hmm. she says that to me all the time. And I... That is the most, like, life-breathing phrase to me. Like, yeah. thank you. She hears you. Yeah. Or just that, I'm so sorry that happened to you. That shouldn't exactly. have happened. Right. Yes. Yeah. Or, you know, just a, a hug or a mm-hmm. hand, you know, on your shoulder or um, just those things are just so much more meaningful and make you feel seen and heard than words, mm-hmm. you know? Right. So those would be my big... Um, things to kind of think about those are really good 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 nuggets of wisdom so who is it that would have the right to speak into it like who are the people that do have the right to come to you and say no we need to get help yeah um definitely the ones that are I think in your circle so for me it was you know my husband my mom um my sister yeah so just keeping your circle tight and the amount of information that you give to people tight and then those are also the people that you, you know, want to really listen to because they have your best interest at heart um, and go from there. Have there been days that you notice a trigger of, I recognize I could have, this is where I would have gone down a cycle, but now I'm going to have these coping mechanisms and I'm not going to be derailed today? Like, are, are there yeah. time, times like that? Yes, there are. And um, it's usually when things are chaotic, um, you know, when the kids are crazy or, um, even if Barrett and I don't feel as in tune, I start to think like, oh, he, he's wanting to, you know, be done or whatever. And then I start to worry and it leads into that anxiety. Mm -hmm. And then my anxiety Mm -hmm. always comes out in anger. Um, and so then when I start to worry or get overwhelmed, then it's like, I can see myself being, really short and or saying just really hurtful things um, to Barrett or the kids. And so um, I've really had to learn my body feels tight. Why is my body feeling tight? Mm-hmm. What in this room is it that's making me feel this way? And a lot of times it's like a ticking of a fan. or Like I know that sounds yeah. bizarre, no. but it sounds it's not bizarre. for sure. And so I'll be like, okay. And if I can, you know, turn the music off or turn the fan down or um, – talk with the kids about using a quieter voice or, you know, go outside and do something where they can be loud and it's not as like right in your ear. Um, that is super helpful for me personally, but, um, there've been many times when Barrett will look at me like at the end of the day and he's like, 
three years ago, this would have been a very different day. Because he, you can tell, like, the day just would have been different. You can see that you're trying, that yeah. you're turning a corner. Yes. Instead and so, of reacting. And that's affirming, and it's huge. And, um, you know, he's the one that's like my mirror because we're together right. all the time. He yeah. can see the ins and outs of all the darkest parts. And so um, when he notices that, and even my kids, you know, sometimes they'll be like, you were really nice today, mommy, <laughs> you know, or whatever. And where I'm very honest with them. They know that mommy has chemicals in her brain that get off a little bit sometimes. And like, if I'm having a hard day and I need to just kind of be more mindful of myself, I will tell them like, I love you so much. And I really am worried about these things that you're worried about. But today, mommy, mommy's chemicals are a little bit mixed up in her brain and she just needs to have a few minutes to be quiet, mm-hmm. you know, and, And they're usually very respectful of that. And I think it helps them feel like, so they're not like, why is mom crying today all the time? Why is she crying about everything? You know, like they're like, oh, it's just your brain. No big deal. Like they're just kind of like, whatever. They know. It's fine. So, and they just move on. And um, so that's been helpful. And that's not an everyday thing. That's like a once every two or three months thing. You know, it's not a big, Mm -hmm. it's not like I'm constantly telling them that, but. And you do have some pretty precious kids. Yeah. A couple times you posted, or more than a couple, but I've seen some things on Facebook that are so heartwarming of their notes they've written yes. you, their creative things they've left you for, for you to find. I don't know. Tell yes. a little about yeah. how they're so well, sweet. Milo especially is very, uh, words of encouragement is his love language, and that's definitely how he gives love. And so he will leave notes on my desk all the time, like, <laughs> you know, uh, I love you, mom, and I hope you have a really great day or whatever. And um, just really sweet little notes. And Ingrid is constantly drawing pictures and they do, they love to do scavenger hunts. So they'll hide (laughs) their, you know, gift for me, which is usually like an origami duck or something crazy. Like they'll hide it in the house and then they'll give me clues as to where it is. And um, yeah, they're very thoughtful. (laughs) But one of the sweetest parts of this whole thing, and I don't even think he knew how sweet it was, but after, like, really starting to feel good, um, one day Milo just looked at me in the car and was like, Mommy, I'm so glad you're here. And that's what he said. And and I think he just meant, like, you're here probably with me. home yeah. today and not working or whatever. But to me, it was, like, here on earth, here in the house. here Because there were many, many days where you didn't I didn't like you want to be that. I didn't want to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, I was ready to pack a bag and move to Mexico and mm-hmm. change my name, you know? And, um, like, just to hear that, like, I just started crying. And if my kids see me cry so much, they're probably like, whoa, mom. <laughs> um, but he was like, you know, I don't know, just God used him to just affirm me in that way, too, that you are doing a good job and, um, mm-hmm. you know, you're raising these kids. And, um, you know, the first two years of Ingrid's life, I feel like I was so um, hard on them and it was really, really hard. Um, But I'm so thankful that they were young and those years will be not even a memory for them, you know, and now I can spend these years where they really are getting great memories. I can um, just be more mindful of that and making those good memories for them and kind of make up for it I guess in a little bit of a way so well I'm so glad you're bringing a spotlight to this and sharing this right and it's and you're so brave I mean like I really am so glad we're talking about this and there may be people that are on the other end of this podcast listening 
thinking, I didn't know anyone else felt this way. Right. Because what Satan likes to do is make us feel alone. Mm -hmm. And he likes to whisper lies, like, well, nobody would really love you if they knew this. Mm -hmm. Where the opposite is the truth. If we... If we come with our honesty and our brokenness, that's when we can have healing and connection and community and support. Yeah. And that's what we thrive on. Yeah. So I know that someone's listening today who needed to hear that you can, just like Lainey, you can make it out of the really, really hard time and, and be able to, to share the comfort that God has given you, maybe the comfort you share with other people and the future years you don't even know yet. And Lainey didn't know yeah. six years ago that she would be able to sit here tonight and share this, but here she is. But And it's so important to remember that if you are feeling that way, that you need to go to your doctor, mm-hmm. you need to find a good counselor, yes. a good friend that you trust to talk to, mm-hmm. but do something. Yep. That's right. So... So what are some things that you're loving? Oh, my goodness. First of all, I think we need to tell people how you and I met. <laughs> Let's hear it. <laughs> so many moons ago, pre-children yeah. even. Pre, well, pre-your children. Pre-my right? children. You had children. Yes, yes, my yes. Um, there was a little play with the Wasso Community Theater called Anne of Green Gables. <laughs> and the lovely Joe McCormick and I were both in it. I love it. I wish I could send Rossi <laughs> a video. Do you have a video oh, of this? No, no, I don't think so. No. <laughs> Did you have character names, or were you ensemble, um, or what did I you did do? I did have a character name, but I don't remember. I was Diane's mom, Diana's mom. Diana, the best friend. Diana Barry's mom. Yes. yes. But I don't remember her name. But who are you? I was I Minnie. I worked in the orphanage. Oh, that's right. I was not very nice. That's right. I didn't like Anne very well. Oh. I mean, I I, only one of my favorite memories of that is we were backstage, like, during production, like, the weekend of it. And I was not feeling good. And I remember just being like, Joe, I'm so sick. I don't feel good. And she was like, are you pregnant? <laughs> and like, and <laughs> I, I yeah, way. and I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't think so. And I was with Milo. <laughs> oh, that's so classic. Yeah. <laughs> but it was in the early stages, so. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Well, I hope you don't get embarrassed if I tell this. Oh, no. But probably not. there's something about Lainey's character that's just pretty awesome and heartwarming. <laughs> so I'm going to tell this. Okay, I'm ready. Um, Lainey and I were on worship team together in the week before Christmas. We were preparing for Christmas Eve service, and I was just like um, Martha in the Bible. I was worried and distracted by many things. <laughs> I was kind of a basket case. <laughs> I think I was even fighting tears. I don't know. And Lainey just noticed. She noticed, and she listened, and just gave me some comfort and encouragement, but she didn't stop there. She also sent me a very encouraging note in the mail with a sweet gift of beautiful music and a Starbucks gift card, which I used that very day. (laughs) So, I mean, I just want you all to know out there, this is the kind of heart that Lainey has of reaching out, of loving, and, and being the kind of person to encourage the people in her life. So you're just an amazing, amazing woman. Thank you you. very much. And... To answer your question, okay, so now what are yes, like? what yes, am I loving? Um, so I will tell you the like serious things first, but then I'm going to tell you some fun things because are you happen to be a friend of the show for the podcast? The podcast? I'm a <laughs> best friend. I'm You're a best friend. <laughs> I am. Oh my I'm a goodness. Best friend. Yes, I'm going to see them in October. No way. Are you for <laughs> real? 
awesome. Oh my goodness. Okay. So anyway, I heard them say your name in like one of their <gasps> shows in or the, whatever. And the then they said something. Anything? Yes. And it was something like OSU or something. And I was like, oh my word. Oh no, I said Boomer. That's right. Yeah. It was like, but it was an Oklahoma awesome. school. I heard Jill McCormick and then I heard yeah. like an Oklahoma school reference and I was like, Hmm. Yes, I love. I've mentioned it before on here, the and they also do yes. the Bible binge, the Bible which I binge. love. I love the Bible binge a lot. I love the Bible yeah. Knox and Jamie are awesome. Yes. Anyway, so that's a fun Listeners, one. Check that's them a freebie. The podcast. Yes, yeah. they're so funny. Um, some of the like more serious things that I love. I love podcasts, so um, I have a whole slew of those I could give you. But I love that sounds fun um, with Annie F. Downs, um, and then. Everything Happens is another one um, with Kate C. Bowler, and that is all focused on suffering. And I know that sounds like, ooh, that's a great podcast to listen to. Um, but she I'm interviews. Just say I'm an Enneagram Seven, and we do not like pain and suffering. Yes, so. yeah, you probably wouldn't like it, but it is good. And like they um, tell their story, and then it talks about really awesome. Like if you want really good practical tips of how to handle people that are grieving really big griefs um this is a wonderful podcast what's it called everything happens um and then in this together is a good one for parents especially of the like elementary age and younger um they have there's two episodes in particular if you listen to none others listen to those and it's like what a boy needs and what a girl needs um and it's specifically about raising a boy or raising a girl and um they're just really, really good. So those would be my like kind of serious ones for podcasts. Um, but the fun ones, we mentioned the podcast. Um, there's one called Shaylee and Katie's Lemonade Stand. Those are actually friends of mine from college. But um, it's super fun and lighthearted. Um, but you can get some really good nuggets of wisdom out of there too. And then if you have kiddos in your life, my kids love podcasts. And we love stories and being... Um, theatrical in our house and so one of them's called the story pirates it's wonderful and kids write stories and then these people make sketch comedy out of it and they perform it on the podcast so fun and then there's one called just stories and it is like old folk stories that they retell so um, those are some podcast things that You've I You've given us love. a great a know, wealth I'm of sorry. podcasts to yes, check out. I could give you a whole list. No, it's great. Well, I'm I glad love to it. have another podcast. <laughs> yes. Story. Like, I love podcasts. Oh, my goodness. I love podcasts, <laughs> too. So um, that's, yeah. Fantastic. Okay, so any books you'd recommend or any things that are favorite scriptures that you yeah. have found encouragement in? Or? Um, so book-wise, I... The one book that I absolutely love and that taught me a lot about um, just suffering and what how to handle it was called Everything Happens for a Reason, um, and it's actually the subtitle under it is Other Lies I've Loved, which is kind of funny. Um, but Kate C. Bullard is diagnosed with stage four colon cancer, and she kind of talks through her story and then um, talks through all of that piece of it. Um, and then the other book that I just finished reading that has kind of gone up in that little shelf too is called The Next Right Thing, which I think mm-hmm. uh, somebody yes. else has mentioned it last year. I think most Jen, recently. I think Jen did. Yes. Um, yeah, but it's really good too, and it's great for decision making. But it's also just has these really wonderful nuggets of like just life wisdom. So even if you're not facing a massive decision, I would recommend that book just to read in general. Um, but yeah, so those would be some books that I love. And then um, 
music wise yes. <laughs> because I love music. Um, the CD that I that Robin mentioned is JJ Heller CD. So it's all soothing. lullabies. Mm-hmm. Um, JJ Heller music and her lullabies is what really got me through a lot with the in the beginning stages. Like I said, I felt like the only way I was really connecting with God was when I was singing lullabies mm-hmm. and hymns to my kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she had just songs for me to sing to, and I would just play it in the car while they were screaming. <laughs> and I'd just turn her, I would crank her sweet voice up, and um, so she's very calming. And Have you heard her when she was interviewed by Jamie Ivey? Mm-hmm. It's a great, oh, yeah, that great conversation. Yeah. And you get to, to hear the backstory of that, of how J.J. Heller didn't even really intend mm-hmm. to be an yeah, amazing singer. Like a basketball right. player or something, yeah. I love the story. Yeah. Anyway, so. I'll have to look at that one. Um, but that's probably one of my favorites. It's just all the time songs and CDs. Um, currently, I really like Brian and Katie Torwalt's newest um, EP, um, and it does actually have a lot to do with like suffering and enduring. So those are some good ones. Well, friend, thank you for being so brave to tell your story tonight. And we hope that people listening to this know you are not alone, and yeah. that. The reason that we're doing this podcast is we want to offer encouragement and just right. say, hey, there's there's hope out here and that you can find so much strength in, first of all, in Jesus mm-hmm. and then in the community of people who are also broken people. Yeah. We're all broken. Yep. You matter yeah, and what's absolutely. hurting you matters. So. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wasn't that so great? We really want to thank her for coming and sharing that story that took a lot of courage. And it's hard to talk about that kind of a thing, but I think it's very important that we talk about mental health and we talk about um, things that happen chemically sometimes that are not in our control. And, you know, this is a great example of someone who has, has had the wisdom to take steps toward the healing that she's enjoying right now. It, and, and she said in her exact words, I began the hard work of this. It's not easy. We're not saying, if you're out there listening right now and you're feeling discouraged, we're not saying there's some quick fix. It is hard work, but it's so worth it for you to get on the other side and to be able to have a wonderful and joyful life and just like Lainey's experiencing now. And like Milo told her, we're so glad that you're here. And so thanks again for listening in. Our producer today was Mary Hill. And we hope that you enjoy the music of our podcast, which was written by Sean McCormick and recorded by Aiden McCormick and Eric Wall. Thanks for listening to Afraid Not. Have a great day. Bye.